Friends, let us pray. Gracious God, in the silence of this hour, startle us with your word to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts then be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from John's gospel, from the 20th chapter beginning with the 19th verse. And in this space, we meet the disciples on the evening of the events of Easter Sunday. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the marks of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been immersed in the biblical story. We've had the pageantry of Palm Sunday and the depths of Monday Thursday. We've experienced the despair of Good Friday. And on Easter, just one week ago, this sanctuary was filled with the sound of trumpet and organ and voices proclaiming Christ is risen in word and in prayer and in song. Our festive worship last week was filled with the certainty and vigor that two millennia have brought to the occasion. Yet today, in the wake of those solemn observances and majestic music, the continuing message of Easter takes on an uncertain note as we meet ten of the disciples 
fearfully huddled behind locked doors, thinking on what Becky has said, what's next? Now their entire world has changed. Just imagine over the course of the past week, they have been part of a victorious parade. They have been dejected and heartbroken and fearful. And now it seems they are adrift. Their guiding purpose, the deep relationship and their discipleship with the one who is known as Jesus seems to have come to its end. You might say that their world is flat. And perhaps we know a little bit about what that feels like, that flat earth feeling. Perhaps we've experienced those places in our lives, those moments or seasons when we could not or would not dare to visualize our lives beyond the immediate horizon. You might remember the old maps that when you were in uncharted waters had the inscription, there be dragons. That's what this week is, a place where there are dragons. Now we know a little bit about the ways that joyful things can bring on these feelings. A much anticipated retirement or the birth of a beloved child, a move to a new city, marriage or promotions and even graduation can leave us in a place where we are unable or unwilling to imagine anything beyond the present moment. And then there are the disasters that overtake our lives. There are losses that we experience that blind us to hope. Divorce and addiction, unemployment and imprisonment, the growing dependence of age, the devastation of a storm, the death of one we love. And with these things, our world becomes flat. So here we are in the upper room where the disciples have gathered and they are still grieving. For them, the Lord is still crucified, dead and buried. They have yet to believe Mary, who has seen Jesus. And they have yet to understand the testimony that Peter and the beloved disciple have given them that the tomb is empty. They have yet to imagine any sort of tomorrow in the face of their loss. They're poised right at the edge of the flat earth. And on the edge of that precipitous drop suddenly stands Jesus. The risen Christ is among them, despite the locked doors. And so he begins by blessing them with his peace. And he shows them his hands and his side. He is the Lord, crucified, dead, and buried, and now risen from the dead. And having seen this, the disciples begin to rejoice. Because in that moment... And in the moment that follows, Jesus will reshape their world and reshape ours. You see, Jesus commissions the disciples. He sends them out into the world just as he was sent by God to be the visible, tangible sign of God's reconciling love. And then he breathes the Holy Spirit on them, delivering on the promise 
that they would have an advocate. We remember the words of John the baptizer who said, there is one coming who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and this is who Jesus is and it's what that he does through the power of the Holy Spirit. He engrafts the disciples into this new thing that we call the body of Christ. And in that upper room, the church is born. What's next? Their world and their very lives suddenly have curvature and purpose and shape and hope and a discernible horizon because Jesus tells them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now it's pretty cool that day because their first opportunity to give witness comes almost immediately. This is great stuff. It's low-hanging fruit and an easy start because Thomas is already one of the twelve. And so with great excitement, they share with him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas, their friend Thomas, refuses to believe. And he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my fingers there, I will not believe. Isn't the new church's new evangelism program going really swell? But you see, Thomas's world is still flat. For him, Jesus Christ remains crucified, dead, and buried. And he cannot, will not bring himself to visualize the world beyond that final word of Jesus' death on the cross. So he is, in that moment, blind to the promise and blind to the hope blind to the witness of his fellow disciples. It is a week later, the second Sunday of the Easter season, in fact, that we rejoin the disciples. And this time, Thomas is present. Now, the doors are still locked, no matter how genteely the New Revised Standard Version suggests that this time they're only shut. Thomas says... Jesus says to Thomas, as their gaze is locked, bring your finger here and see my hands. Jesus is talking to one who has been blind and he is inviting him to see with another sense. He's inviting him to see with both hands. The evangelist then records the charge that Jesus speaks to Thomas now, in ancient terms of faithfulness and belief in the Greek language, this is what he tells him. Jesus commands him, become not unfaithful, but faithful. Or as we read in our text today, stop doubting and believe. And there it is. Grace expands Thomas's horizons and he sees clearly for the first time, and he can't help but burst out, and he says, my Lord and my God. These words would have been blasphemy in that age, and yet Thomas knows that they are not blasphemy, but truth. He looks at Jesus and says, my God. Because behind those locked doors, the risen Christ has emerged, he becomes the ultimate sign in a gospel text that is filled with signs. 
We see Thomas tangibly focused on Christ who is present before him. And he, doubting he, is the first to grasp this crucial witness of the resurrection, that Jesus our Lord, Jesus is God. Because you have seen me, you have believed, Jesus tells him. And then he turns to the whole room and to us with the benediction that is ours today. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In this first generation, seeing is believing. And believing becomes both a vision for what work will come and a tangible witness of the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son. Believe in John's gospel is always a verb. It is a measure of faithfulness, of trust and obedience and hope. If we look at the gospel, words of seeing and believing appear more than a dozen times in this text alone. But when I try to get a grip on what it means to become believing, to become faithful, I'm still arrested by the flat earth image of a second week of locked doors that remain locked. And I wonder, how? How could the disciples receive their commission and the Holy Spirit and the authority to proclaim God's forgiveness and judgment and still stay behind locked doors? And then I wonder if when Jesus turned to Thomas, he was including the ten when he said, become not unfaithful, but faithful. Hebrew scriptures are filled with beautiful images of faith, and all those images are drawn on the lives of God's people. In those stories, faith is trust and giving credence. It includes obedience and hope and expectation. In these stories, becoming faithful is being able to see with both hands that the world, in fact, is not flat, but has the graceful curve of a stone rolled away from an empty tomb. For God so loved the world. And yet we know, don't we? We know that the earth remains flat for so many. Even for those of us who have been introduced and know the love of Christ, and who know that the horizon is out there somewhere. So again and again, into just such a flat earth, it is a place where Jesus comes and commissions and sends us, calling his church to be faithful, to be obedient to his command, and supreme among them, the command to love one another as Christ loved us and as God loved the world. When called to such love, the only way to express it are in things that are intangible, things that are visible, things that give witness to the transformation that we find in Jesus Christ. Now we know, we know from the scriptures that we've heard this morning that the disciples made it out from behind those locked doors. 
Their deeds are recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, and as we heard this morning, with great power, the Apostles gave testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. That early church became a witness that you could see with both hands. And I find that reassuring. They were commissioned and received the Holy Spirit and given authority for that office. But even with all those things and with the power of the Spirit behind them, they didn't spring fully formed into the fruits of faithfulness. It took time as the Spirit grafted them into the vine that is Jesus Christ for them to gather the nurture that they needed to unfurl and mature into the fullness of bearing. And friends, I'm assured that that spirit is at work within us today, giving us the strength and the hope to leave behind our own locked doors and become for the world a two-fisted example of God's reconciling love. I would just share a final story. It was my last year in seminary And I found myself in a space where my horizon was shrinking and I was under billowing sail right towards the edge of May graduation. Over spring break, I had traveled down to San Antonio to visit with my best friend and her family. And earlier that fall, she made a gracious offer. She said that if I got a placement in San Antonio for an internship or residency, that I could live in the two-carded detached garage apartment that was behind their house. I was welcome to the space if I needed it. Now the place had been empty for years and it was a little grubby, but I figured, you know, a coat of paint, a good scrub, a little bit of carpet, and it would be fit for human habitation. So it was spring break, as this week has been, And I made my way down to her house after what seemed to be one of the longest weeks of my life. I have never been more fully aware of the dragons that lurked in an unknown future. And my earth got flatter and flatter with every passing mile. And then I arrived. And she said, come on, you've got to see. She dragged me out to the garage. And it seems that between fall and spring, Linda and her mother, Lucy, had decided that they needed to renovate my apartment. So there was new paint, new cabinets, new windows, new floors. Leaving to return to Austin, I told Linda that I was blown away by their obvious care. Oh, she said, we figure Aunt Thiela will move in there someday. Yeah, I said. But Aunt Theta didn't need the space to be ready in June. And there it was. The earth that had been flat sported a new horizon, born in the witness of love that can be seen and felt with both hands. The evangelist sends the gospel 
today with these words. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And what a life that is that we are invited to. We are commissioned to minister in the name of Jesus Christ and empowered by the Spirit of God to be, for the sake of the world, a witness that the world can hang on to with both hands. Because the world may indeed be flat, but in the love and peace and grace of Jesus Christ, it gains a gracious curvature, one of hope, one of love, and we are its witnesses. Amen.